right, well, throughout this series, I've been inviting you to join me as we follow Jesus together, and we've been unpacking just what it means to follow Jesus, and we've discovered that Jesus invited all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds to follow him. Uh, we've seen that Jesus invited sinners to follow him, because everybody's a sinner, and so that means you and I are lucky. We can follow him, too. Uh, Jesus invited unbelievers to follow him, and so if you're not sure what you believe yet, that's okay. You can start following in, uh, Jesus, too. Uh, Jesus invited uh, you know, he even invited people like criminals to follow him. You can see that in the, the narrative of his story. He even invited prostitutes to follow him. And what he said when Jesus said, follow me, he simply asked people wherever they were to start where they were, turn toward him, and take the next step of faith. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started answering another aspect of this question of what it means to follow him by answering the question, okay, if I follow Jesus... Where is he taking me? I mean, where does this journey go? What's the destination? And we saw that uh, if you begin to follow Jesus, he is gonna take you on, the journey, on a journey of love because he's gonna lead you to love one another like he loves you. He's gonna lead you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then last week we saw if you, if you follow Jesus, he's gonna take you on the journey toward freedom. He wants to help you get free from the toxic emotions and the dysfunctional behaviors that sabotage your life. And that's actually a very wonderful, positive thing. Today, I want us to look at another aspect of what it means to follow Jesus and where he takes us if we follow him. And this aspect of following Jesus uh, became very relevant to me, especially as a San Antonian, uh, based on something that happened recently. So uh, last week, our executive pastor, Michelle Jack, was invited by our mayor uh, to join him, uh, him and other uh, pastors and priests in San Antonio at a prayer breakfast to pray for our city. And while they were meeting, he brought some good news, and that is statistics uh, tell us now that San Antonio has become the number one fastest growing city in America. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, those of us who've been in San Antonio for a while, we, we understand why. I mean, San Antonio's awesome. It's, it's, you get the the benefits of a big city, but it still feels more like a small city. And then we have such a diverse city uh, that's so welcoming to all kinds of people. And, and, you know, it's a pretty low cost of living, so you get more bang for your buck when you live here. And then, of course, you know, we have Mexican food, and we got Whataburger, and we got Big Red, you know, and the San Antonio Spurs. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's easy to understand why people, so many people are moving here. But then the mayor presented a statistic that wasn't so exciting. You see, the same report shows that San Antonio just surpassed Detroit as having the, the city with the highest poverty rate of all cities in the United States. 22% of our fellow citizens live under the poverty line. And the poverty line is the minimum income required to cover basic needs. And so I wanted to know, okay, so what's the poverty line? And when I looked it up, it's a low bar. So if you're single, the poverty line is $12,700. And if you're a family of four, it's $26,000. How many of you know it would be hard to make it here if you're a single person with just $12,000 a year or a family of four on $26,000? It's a low bar. And folks, these, these are our neighbors. And these may even be some of us. And our friends at the San Antonio Food Bank tell us 
that the majority of those who are living below the poverty line are children. And that's just not acceptable. And some of you know that poverty is not just about struggling to have a place to live or struggling to have food, because what often comes with poverty is oppression, when people take advantage of the poor. And so I'm gonna give you an example of what I'm talking about. Now, many of you know that for the last 20 years or so, our church has supported an orphanage down in Chihuahua, Mexico. And uh, early in our relationship, uh, when I was talking with the director, Fidel, I had traveled down to Chihuahua, he told me that he was having a problem. And I, I said, okay, well, what's up? Well, he told me that they had gone through a financial crisis at the orphanage and he had gotten a loan from a wealthy person who lived in his city. And he told me that he was having a hard time paying the loan back. And so I asked him, well, what's the percentage on the loan? And he said, 5%. And I remember thinking, you know, 5%, that's not too bad. I mean, I still think it's creepy to charge interest to an orphanage. But, you know, 5% per year, that's not too bad. And then he said, oh, no, it's not 5% per year. It's 5% per month. It's 60% per year. And it compounded monthly. And I was like, what? Who could pay that back? It's how sometimes people with means oppress the poor. And it's just not right. Jesus, when he started his movement, he saw poverty among his people. And he was determined that his movement would do something about it. And his movement that he called the church is a movement of people. It's us. We are the church. The church are those who follow Jesus. And I want us to get this aspect of Jesus' movement straight from his lips. And I think, I think you're going to see Jesus' focus on the poor and the oppressed. Okay, so when Jesus began the church movement, we know that he preached many messages all over the place. And and in the Gospel of Luke, which records, uh, is one of the authors who records the story of Jesus' life, the very first sermon that he says that Jesus preached was not a sermon on sin. It was not a sermon on how to get to heaven or eternal life. It was not even a sermon on forgiveness or love. His first sermon brought good news to the poor. So Jesus walks into a synagogue, he opens up a scroll that's, uh, that had the Jewish scriptures recorded on it, and he wrote, read this passage from the great Jewish prophet Isaiah. This is recorded in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that, that's the passage he read. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And that's how they taught in Jesus' day. They sat and taught. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He said to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And with that scripture and those words, Jesus let people know, I'm starting something new. I'm starting a movement. And this movement is going to change people's hearts so they will change our world. Jesus started a movement. One aspect of it was to bring good news 
to the poor because he saw poverty and the oppression that comes with it among his own people in his own country, and it wrecked him. And so he was determined to do something about it. Now, I want to I unpack this scripture that Jesus quotes from so you'll understand why he picked it. So when Jesus spoke about setting prisoners free, he was talking about debtor's prison. Now, you may not be familiar with this, but throughout human history, and even in some places in our world today, there's things called debtor's prisons. And debtor's prisons are when you take out a loan, like Fidel did, if you take out a loan and you're unable to pay it back, well, they can put you in prison until you pay it back. And so normally what happened was you would either have to have a relative who would pay it off or you might have to uh, become an indentured servant, a slave, to pay it back or you might have to give up one of your children to pay back the loan. And Jesus saw this going on in his day and it wrecked him. And Jesus wants what wrecks him to wreck us. When Jesus talked about recovery of sight for the blind, he was talking about what happens in his day in particular when someone has a physical disability, when they have a physical disability that also binds them up to poverty because they can't work. And so when Jesus healed a blind man or a lame person, not only did he help that person have physical uh, healing and restoration, he also set that person free from a life of poverty and begging to survive. And when Jesus talked about the year of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor, that's, that's a part of the Jewish culture. It's called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee occurred every 50 years. And every 50 years in the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled. All loans cover. And uh, if you had to use your property to uh, get out of a debt, if you were an Israelite, the property returned back to you. And if you were in debtor's prison, you were set free. That's good news. And did you notice what Jesus said? Today, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Whether it's this year or not, it is now because I'm here. And I'm saying today is the day. And Jesus was also saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing because I'm expecting my people to do something about this today. My movement is not just for the sweet by and by. One day you'll go to heaven and one day all the poverty and oppression will end. One day when you go to heaven. I want my people to do something to help those in need today. That's what Jesus' movement is about. And I'm concerned because, you know, here in America there's, there's this uh, prosperity gospel that goes around out there. Maybe you've heard of it. You know, that following Jesus, you follow Jesus so you can get wealthy. And I'm like, what? Man, Jesus didn't preach a prosperity gospel. He preached a poverty gospel. He preached that his people are supposed to do something for those who are in need. And, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned that too many churches don't, don't have the right focus on this aspect of Jesus' movement, okay? So we're going somewhere with this. You're going to hear my heart today. Now, many, many of you know that I grew up in the church, and I'm grateful that I grew up in the church. I learned so many great truths about the church. But so many of the churches that I came across growing up had, had focuses in one like direction, and, and it caused them to neglect this focus. So let me give you an example. So I grew up in, in my religious heritage. My religious heritage was very focused on helping people believe in Jesus so they could go to heaven. They want, we wanted people to, to have eternal life, and there's nothing wrong with that. We believe in that, right? 
But it was oftentimes to the neglect of, of people needing help in this life today. And then some churches were very focused on, a, on getting people to participate in a bunch of relig religious activities, in a bunch of religious rituals, oftentimes to the neglect of this aspect of his movement, bringing good news to the poor. And then some churches were focused on building massive properties and it's almost like they became these islands where the believers would get, gather for their workouts and their gyms and their, you know, and I even know of a church that had a bowling alley and I'm like, and it, and like it isolated them from the culture and of course it was more like a country club for wealthy believers, not unwealthy believers. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about it. And then there are some churches who've turned the church movement into a political movement. And so they're focused on getting their political agendas past. They're focused on getting their political candidates elected. And, and uh, most of this kind of focus is what makes the unchurched people, the non-church people, mad at the church. And if that's you, if you would say, you know, yep, pastor, that's why I haven't been to church in a long time. I understand. I really do. Now, please don't get me wrong. We should be a church that helps people believe in Jesus so they can have eternal life. And we believe that here at City Church. And we should, should be a church that helps people get free uh, from their toxic emotions and their dy dysfunctional behaviors that bind them up. And we should help people live their purpose so they can make a difference in this life. But we must also, we must also have Jesus' vision to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. Because when Jesus saw the poor and the oppressed, it wrecked him. And he wants what wrecked him to wreck us. And so I want us to look at one more scene from Jesus' ministry and this conversation that he has where I think you see all of these different elements about his movement come together. Pretty famous passage. This is Luke chapter 19. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Okay, so Jer uh, Jericho was one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. It was on a major a roadway that led into the Judea area. And we find out from the story that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which meant that he supervised other tax collectors. And so tax collectors were rich because he was a cheap tax collector. He was very rich. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about tax collectors, how they were viewed in Jesus' culture. They were despised by their own people because tax collectors tended to take more money from the people than what the Roman government demanded, and so that's how they got very rich. And so they were despised by their own people, and they were excluded from participating in Jewish worship services. And what I find interesting is this tax collector, he climbed a tree so he could see Jesus. And you know what I think's going on there? Despite all of his wealth, probably had a really big, nice house, there was something missing, and he knew it, and he wanted to see Jesus. And maybe that's where you are in your journey. Maybe you've spent your life uh, building your career. Maybe you've spent your life amassing wealth. Maybe you've uh, 
bought your dream house or built your dream house and you have everything everybody says you should, you should have to be happy and have joy and you don't have it. And maybe that's why you're looking for Jesus. Maybe that's why you're checking Jesus out. And if that's you, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. You're welcome here. I hope you will give Jesus a chance and follow him. Okay, so you got the picture. Zacchaeus is up in a tree, like one of the wealthiest guys in town has climbed a tree to see Jesus. I mean, I think it's so funny. Who can make this stuff up? So he's up in a tree to see Jesus, verse five. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, the people who lived with him, his neighbors, the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So do you catch what happens here? <laughs> Jesus comes into this wealthy city and he invites himself to be the, the guest of one of the richest guys in town. I mean, how do you think the people in town felt about that? You know, invite yourself to the rich guy's house. I bet they were thinking, oh, I bet he wants a big no donation for his ministry or something. But I want us to pay attention to what Jesus did here because what Jesus did shocked people because he went to eat at a no the house of a notorious sinner. And in Jesus' day in the ancient Middle East, when you ate with someone, it was one of the most intimate forms of relationship bonding you could uh, have in their day. Because when they ate together, it took hours. And there, so there was a lot of conversation back and forth. It was very relational and connected. And so when Jesus did this, when he went to be the guest of a notorious sinner, he did it on purpose. He, he was sending a message. He was creating culture. And he was saying this, my movement is for everybody, even for notorious sinners. You're welcome to follow me. And I do wanna say, if you feel like a notorious sinner, maybe nobody here knows you, but maybe you feel notorious, I want you to know you're welcome to follow Jesus too. I encourage you to follow Jesus because he created a movement for notoriously messy people. And if, and if you call City Church your church, I ask you to help us protect this culture so that all people, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, so that all people feel welcome to follow Jesus. All right, so Jesus spent hours eating with and talking with Zacchaeus, this tax collector, and telling him, I'm thinking, he's telling him what his movement is all about. So notice what happens next. This is verse nine. Meanwhile, or Really, I think a better translation is later because this is probably hours later. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, I want to make several observations from, uh, from this event and what Jesus said. First, did you notice when Zacchaeus stood up, he called Jesus Lord. Something happened during that meal where Zacchaeus got clear about who he felt Jesus was, and he called him Lord. And because of his belief in Jesus, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. 
Second observation I want to make is that when Zacchaeus stood up, he said he was, wanted to make things right with the people he had wronged. And that tells me that Jesus had obviously talked to him about his movement of love, that you're supposed to love your neighbor. And one of the ways you love your neighbor is by making things right when you have wronged them. And so he stands up and offers to make things right with those he had wronged. But it's the third aspect of what Zacchaeus said that it was really new to me. I never really noticed it or paid attention to it. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, I will give away half my wealth to the poor. And I thought, now why would he do that? I mean, what would lead him to do that? And I think Jesus had been talking to him about his movement, that it was to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. And I think Zacchaeus began to examine his own life. And though he was rich in things, he was poor in life. And he was tired of being poor in life. And so he offered to give half of his wealth to the poor because he got to the place where he finally was wrecked by what wrecked Jesus. And he determined to do something about it. Does what wrecks Jesus wreck you? If you're going to follow Jesus, please know he is going to lead you to do something for the poor and the oppressed. Now, I just want to take a moment and tell you what your church does to reflect this part of Jesus' movement. So for the last 21 years, City Church has forged strategic partnerships with three social action organizations that bring good news to the poor and the oppressed. And throughout, and I'm going to tell you about them in just a moment, uh, and throughout our history, the way we've done that is we've taken up a special offering. Uh, we've called it Beautiful Feet. We've called it our Social Action Fund. Anyway, we've taken a special offering and then used the monies to help these different organizations. But over the last few years, I've been burdened about this part of the movement that Jesus started, and I felt like we could do more. I felt like we should do more as a church. And so uh, I began to pray about it, and I talked to our elders about it, and, and uh, we made a decision together. Uh, so starting in January of this year, we have rearranged our entire church budget to give 10% of whatever comes in to our social action partners. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited about that. It's a big step of faith for us. I mean, you know, think about your own home budget or if you have a business, your business budget. Imagine just taking 10% and say, you know what, we're gonna give it away. And uh, I'm excited about it because what it means is we will be able to almost double the amount of our support for our social action partners. And so let me tell you about uh, the, the three primary ones. Uh, first is the orphanage that I mentioned earlier, uh, Casa Hogar Pies Hermosos uh, in Chihuahua, Mexico. They've served between 30 to 60 orphans uh, for you know, the past 20 years, and we're their primary support. Uh, and oh, oh, also, by the way, remember the loan I talked to you about, uh, the 60% the per year loan that Fidel had? Well, our church paid that off. And uh, yeah, and we... And we... Um, and we told him, let us be your emergency account. Don't, don't borrow money anymore. And I, I made him promise, and, and he promised that. So uh, anyway, uh, second, second uh, social action partner is called the Strong Foundation. It was started by two members of City Church who got wrecked about homelessness here in San Antonio. 
And so over the years, they have served over 763 families. They don't just provide housing and food. They also provide training to help people get out of the cycle of poverty and homelessness. And that's what I'm so excited about with Jim and Carol Lee and the Strong Foundation. And we've been supporting them for some you know, 12, 15 years. And then the, the third social action uh, partnership we have is with an organization that our church helped establish along with a couple of other leaders in San Antonio called Liberia Now. And Liberia Now serves this impoverished nation of Liberia. It's in uh, West Africa. It's made up of former slaves who lived in the United States who wanted to go back to the African continent. And so they speak English. They have a very close relationship with the U.S., but because of civil war and uh, and because, you know, some of y'all know they went through the Ebola crisis and lost 1% of their population. They're just a very, very poor nation. And so our church, through the Liberia Now organization, has been supporting the poor and the oppressed in Liberia for about 10 years. And I have a video report to just present to you what has been accomplished during this time. Take a look. So when I first met uh, Pastor Gianfi about 10 years ago, uh, he has a four-wheel drive vehicle because, you know, the roads get muddy and stuff. Anyway, so he starts, uh, he, he's trying to, like, cast vision for us. And uh, so he starts driving out into the jungle. I mean, we go, like, for miles back in the jungle. And, and we get out of the vehicle. And, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. And actually, I'm a little bit nervous at this point. And, uh, and he, he gets out and he says, we need a school right here. And I was like, Pastor Gianfi, nobody lives. Where, what are you talking about? Not anybody around here. He said, oh, no. You can't see them, but there are people all around here. And they have children. And they don't go to school because they can't afford school. We're going to build a school here so they can go to school. And we're going to fund it. And so the school building you saw in the early part of the clip, our church has been a part of building each of those uh, levels in the building. In fact, I don't know if you could tell at the very top, the goal this year is to finish the third floor so that there can be a high school with science labs and a library and, and a computer lab and everything. I mean, they're thinking big. They're thinking long-term, changing the country. And I think when Jesus talked about coming alongside the poor and oppressed, I don't think he was thinking about just giving them a meal for a day. I think he was talking about changing the trajectory of people's lives. And so that's what your church is doing. This is what I'm asking you to do. First, I'm asking you to give generously to the city church movement. Because not only when you give here do lives change here through our services and our programs, and we do believe in that, but now every time you give here, 10% will go to support our social action partners, and you'll know you're making a difference in the lives of the poor and the oppressed. But there's a second thing that I'm, I'm asking you to do, and that is to serve passionately uh, those who are in poverty. Rub shoulders with someone who is in distress. And I'm gonna tell you why I think this is important. You know, it's one thing to feel bad for people who are poor. It's, it's, it's another thing to give to help people who are poor, and that's great. That's what I'm asking you to do. But I think there's something significant about you rearranging your life to come alongside someone in need and serve them because I think it does something good to your soul. And so let me, let me show you what I mean by that. So when Jesus left this earth, he left his movement in the hands of some disciples that he trained. And what's interesting is his half-brother James also became a leader in the movement. And in James's letter, he makes this rich statement giving clarity about what his brother's religious movement 
is all about. This is James 1.27, where he writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, when you come alongside someone who is in distress due to poverty, not only do you help them, and that's, that's the right thing to do no matter what, but it also does something good for your soul. It keeps you from being polluted by the world. And as your pastor, that's what I want for you, to experience that part of Jesus' movement. And so practically what, what I am asking, some of you may feel called to, get, to regularly be involved in serving uh, either locally or, or like with the orphanage. We're gonna start taking trips again uh, this year to go back and serve the orphanage. And you may feel called to, to do something regularly, but I, what, what I'm asking is that at least once a year, you would rearrange your life to come alongside some organization, doesn't have to be one of ours, but it could be, and do something to rub shoulders with the poor. I think it will be good for your soul. We also have social action circles. You could you know, get involved with one of those, but whatever you do, do something, and I'll make this commitment as your pastor that I will lead us as a church to do something about what wrecks Jesus because what wrecks Jesus ought to wreck us. And I think that together we can make a difference. We, we, we may, may not make everything right for everyone, but together we can make something right for someone. We may not be able to end all suffering, but together we can end someone's suffering. We may not be able to make everything right, but together we can make something right for someone. We may not be able to change the world, but together we can change the world for someone. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Let's pray together. So Father God, we know that your heart and your, your eyes are turned toward those who suffer those who are uh, in poverty, those who are facing oppression in this world. And so, Lord, first of all, I pray for those who are suffering. And I pray, Lord, that they would experience you, the God who is our provider in some way in their life, that would restore hope and vision for the life that you have for them. And then, Lord, I ask that you would fill us with a, a vision and courage and faith to do something about what wrecks your son. I pray that you would empower us and bless us, Lord, our little part of the movement as we seek to do something to come alongside those who are in distress because of poverty or oppression. We thank you for your love, Lord. Help us to love those who need love the most. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I've tried my best to share my heart with you. And I don't think it's just my heart. I think it's Jesus' heart. And, uh, and just know that this, this is where we're going as a church. And I, I encourage you to find your unique way to make a difference in this world. And we're, we'll help you the best we can. Uh, next week, we're going to...